The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. It's been like seven months of travel between women's basketball and baseball from November through mid-June. I've done all this driving up here to Fayetteville and doing shows at airports before flying out with the teams because they never travel in the morning. They never fly out in the morning. It's always an afternoon flight. Well, it was a morning flight today out of Omaha's uh, airport. And so now the, we're kind of doing the show in reverse. I, I flew with the team here. Uh, I'm at the regional jet center right outside XNA airport doing the show here with Ty on FaceTime. And then I'm going to do that. I'm going to drive back to Little Rock. So, I mean, this is like, I guess it seems like the perfect way to bookend a season where we've been traveling like this, though. I really would have liked to continue doing this show in Omaha. Uh, over the next week, we would have been at T. Henry's if Arkansas had uh, been able to hold on yesterday against Texas Tech, but it just didn't happen. And so here we are, and uh, this turns into a, uh, a season summary in, in, in many ways over the next couple of hours. And of course, lots of other sports talk involving Arkansas athletics. We'll have uh, Nikki Chavanel joining us later on in hour number one to get a talk on recruiting and matt jones joins us in hour number two matt's probably been covering arkansas baseball more in the weeds than just about anybody else uh and out of the great coverage that many of the arkansas media outlets did uh it would be fun to talk about this season and uh, the college world series with matt jones all right so post-mortem uh, disappointing end of the season. There's no other way to put it. Um, especially when you know you'll hear people say sometimes, "But yeah, I'd rather lose ten to nothing than lose one to nothing, or lose five to four. One run losses just get at you because there are so many little things that can happen in a one run game that make the difference between a, ru- a win and a loss. And and that's why you're looking at these two games thinking, boy, I mean, if you make contact in this situation, if if this guy gets a base hit in that situation, this is where all the second guessing about, you know, should Dave have bunted uh, in the eighth inning against Florida State on Saturday? Should he have bunted in the ninth inning or in the eighth inning? Uh, yesterday, or in the ninth inning yesterday, uh, with Trevor Ezell trying to set up Casey Martin. I mean, it's all one run games. These, these, these little decisions that seem little when you're watching a game that's decided by six or seven runs. They're not so little when you're, when you're talking about a one run game. And, and these were winnable baseball games, Ty. They were two winnable baseball games. It has nothing to do with, Cinderella. It has nothing to do about being an underachieving team. Uh, it uh, it all has to do with just a little execution in a spot here, a little execution in a spot there, and you're still in Omaha and you're talking about playing tomorrow. But that's not what happens. Mistakes end up occurring. Uh, a slider left up in the zone that turns into a homer. Two pitches after a double play ball turned into just one out instead of two. Uh, that was a huge play in yesterday's baseball game. 
uh, inability to make the right kind of contact with certain runners up, uh, runners in scoring position, not just base hits, but the right kind of contact to move a guy from second to third and, and, and maybe set somebody up. Uh, just just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, you get a bullpen that's been very, very good this year. But they had some struggles holding close leads late in the season. And, and now you're left in a position where, I don't think there's any doubt about this, Ty, this is a very successful year for Arkansas baseball. Tenth, just remove the trip to the College World Series, 20 SEC wins, a division championship, a five-national seed, hosting a regional, hosting a super regional, and then, oh, by the way, you won the super regional, so you do go to Omaha. Any season that ends in Omaha is a successful one, but it also leaves you wanting more when you go 0-2 and barbecue. Here's what the word that was talked around yesterday was disappointing, and if you're going to say that, Phil, you have to separate it. The trip to Omaha was a disappointment. It was disappointing. You are allowed to say that. This team went 0-2 with the road they had in Omaha. They should have gone farther. That's okay to say. But I kind of cringe when people say the season overall was a disappointment based on what you lost last year and just how it played out. I don't think that's fair to this ball club. I don't think it's fair to Dave Van Horn. But if you want to characterize the trip to Omaha itself, the two games, the two losses to Florida State and Texas Tech, I'm okay with that. And I know they were heartbreaking games, the 1-0 shutout to Florida State, and then the 5-4 game where you tied it up in the 8th and then let it go in the ninth. That's understandable, and I can I can understand fans' gripes about that. When it comes to judging and criticizing Dave Van Horn's decision, that's kind of getting in the weeds a little bit. I don't know if I have the baseball acumen to accurately depict if they're right determining determining if he was wrong or not. But that's that's where it gets. That's kind of where I draw the line, Phil. When people start referencing this season to be disappointed, because it's not. The trip was. There's a big difference when you say that. Yes, I think that's. I think that's absolutely right. And you know, look, there is no doubt. You don't want to be the first team eliminated from the College World Series. Not at all. I mean, if you you feel like maybe you accomplished a little bit more with just one victory and staying for a couple of extra days and and and, and trying to keep it going. Uh, but uh, the, I mean, what 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 are the what what lacked in in the College World Series? Well, overall offense lacked. It wasn't just the one nothing loss uh, to Florida State on Saturday. It was also it was also the five four loss yesterday. And admittedly, four runs is usually enough for a win for this team. There's a big difference in the record between when you're oh when you score three runs or less or four runs or more. They they don't lose a lot of ball games when scoring four runs or more. So four runs should have been enough, but you still had opportunities to do more than score four runs. You have eight runners left on base. Hogs yesterday, especially against the bullpen late, could not come through with the clutch base hit. I know you got the sack fly from Kenley in the eighth inning to tie the game, but you're still looking for, at that point, one run's nice, but you're looking for base hits. You're looking for clutch moments to, to drive in multiple runs and maybe re-grab the lead. Uh, so, all right, some, th- some things that really stand out from yesterday's game. Now, I thought Connor Nolan was good. I thought Connor Nolan gave Arkansas a good, a good four innings. And I don't think they were going to ask him to go any more than that. And honestly, I was a, I was a little bit surprised that they that, that that they let him go into the to the fourth inning. Uh, and not saying that that's uh, you know a reason that they lost, but I was surprised. I thought three innings, and then they would utilize the length out of the bullpen. Uh, so it, the walk to lead off the fourth inning 
you know, obviously would hurt. But then Nolan, and this is one way you can tell he was on, got a lot of ground balls yesterday, a lot of ground balls, including what should have been a double play off of the eighth overall pick in the Major League Draft, Tech shortstop Josh Young. A routine double play ball hit just to Casey Martin's left. I mean, that is that is that's a godsend when you're a shortstop and you have the ball hit to your left that brings you to second base. And and in in so many opportunities, Casey would just scoop it up, take it to the bag, uh, force out a runner at second, then then the throw to first is the easy part. Well, he took his eye off the ball just for a brief moment, and maybe it was to take a look and see where he was located in relation to the base, where the runner was. But that brief moment, taking his eye off the ball, cost him the second out because he kicks it a little bit and luckily was able to kick it closer to second base. But that one brief moment cost him the chance of getting the double play. And then the next pitch, Cameron Warren hammers a a hanging slider over the left field wall. So that's one of those plays that I referred to about, I think it was a loss to Ole Miss, where they didn't commit any errors in that super regional game, but still had about five or six misplays on plays that you usually get an out or two outs and and you don't charge an error on those plays uh and that was the case yesterday so there's one run that shouldn't have been scored for texas tech but that and then you can look to the eighth inning and i thought it was an interesting decision here to not hold on the runner cameron warren in the eighth so you got two outs nobody on base it's a tie game at this point warren draws a a a three-two pitch a walk uh, from Cody Scroggins and takes first base. Now Cameron Warren is like six three, two hundred. They list him at two hundred and forty pounds. I mean, this guy's cheeks weigh twenty pounds each on his face. He's got the biggest smile I've ever seen in my life. And so they don't they don't hold him on base with two outs positioning Ezel behind the runner. And you're thinking, you know, it's only because of this runner that you're not you're not holding him on. It allows him to take a huge lead. And then on a 3-1 count, he is running on the pitch instead of being held on. They don't pick over to first base. He's running on the pitch, and Cody Masters triples off the right center field fence. It was like the right, the only factors that could have brought Cameron Warren to score from first base on a base hit uh, this year. I don't, couldn't imagine he's done that very much this year. It was just all these forces coming together, and he scores without a throw home. Uh, so that was one thing. It's, it's not me questioning because I've seen Dave and, and, and Arkansas this year a lot of times. They have not held runners in close games when you're up by two. But the fact that it was a tie score to me, I, I, I wondered a little bit about that. I was watching the post-game press conference at Planet Fitness yesterday, and Warren's response, he was like, he was telling himself, come on, big boy, get get on home. So he was kind of like you're referencing a big old dude and it just in the biggest smile ever and Again, Arkansas fans are probably not exactly apt to want to watch this based on the fact that they lost and it's a Texas Tech, but it was a it was a funny little tidbit that came out of that press conference. Phil, I want to talk to you about what a lot of fans were criticizing. You mentioned that play. I think what most fans are pointing to is the ninth inning. And in sure. fact, I, I, that's the majority. I have not seen anything really, probably 90-something percent, that's what most fans have been critical of this morning and as of yesterday. So you get Franklin and Nesbitt. Nesbitt just gets clocked by a pitch. My goodness, that looked like it hurt from that yeah. dude that throws like 95-plus. And then Franklin gets on, and so you got a man on second, a man on first, and correct me, zero outs at that point. No outs, right? No outs, that's okay. right. You're down You're down a run, so you've got the go-ahead runs on. Trevor Ezell comes to the plate, and he he just he meets with Dave. He has a little powwow 
um, before he goes on at the at the on deck circle, and he decided Dave decides I'm gonna let Trevor hit. I didn't have a problem with that. Some did because Trevor in the last I I can't remember the exact stack of how many games, but he's hitting like 400. He's hitting 300 plus on the season. He's been a guy several times that's come up with clutch hits, and he is a good bunner. That's kind of a characteristic of his game. Is he's good, he's a good bunner. But I didn't have a problem with DVH trying to bunt him, trying to bunt, not bunt Nesbitt and Franklin over and just gunning, gunning for it. Phil, did you have a problem with the initial first call to let Ezel hit on the zero outs, man on first, man on second? Not one bit. Not one bit. And, and, and the reason is because of the hitter at the plate at that moment. I think Trevor Ezel this year has been the most consistent hitter for this ball club. I mean, he came in batting 332 on the regular season. That's the second highest batting average on the year. And he'd been hitting 500 in the NCAA tournaments. I mean, this is, this has been, this has been a guy all season long. Look, I'm, I'm looking at his season long numbers. These are numbers that Dave Van Horn is privy to as well. He's the leading hitter with runners on base for the team. 413 batting average, runners on base. He's the leading hitter with runners in scoring position. 417 with runners in scoring position. He's, he's been the best hitter on the team this year. That's not the guy that you take the bat out of his hands to bunt for Casey Martin. And that's the other reason why. It's because then you're putting Casey Martin in the exact same situation he was in the day before, which it's been shown quite often in the postseason, runner at third, one out, he's not going to get a fastball to hit. It's going to be breaking pitches. And he was unable to lay off of them. It would be the exact same situation as the day before. And I'm not saying he wouldn't get the base hit. The percentages would show that he wouldn't. And the percentages were in Trevor Ezel's favor at that moment. That's, hey, I under, I understand. Go-ahead runs are on base. Nobody out. It's a roll of the dice to let him hit, but that's your best hitter. That's the guy you don't bunt at that moment. So I thought it was the right decision by Dave. And, hey, look, all of the other, all of the managers out there that are listening, all of the other head coaches out there that are listening, just because it didn't work, doesn't mean it wasn't the right decision. And I think any time a fan, this this doesn't matter which coach it is, whether it's Boss Morris or Van Horn, you can always question a coach's decision. That doesn't mean your concerns and questioning is valid by any stretch of the means. But it's okay to, every once in a while, if you think something else, to be like, I, I wonder why he did that. And I thought Dave's explanation in the press conference and what he was quoted in, he was pretty strong. He's like, Trevor's been a good hitter. Casey struggled. Now, this is not the same Casey Martin we saw last year in Omaha when he had, what, 10 hits? I think. He had a huge first round and with, and then went quiet in the, in the championship series. That's yeah, right. so he was a monster for that kind of opening stretch before they, they got to Oregon State. This has not been the same guy, Phil. This is a guy, as you mentioned, that and it, it's tough on him because he just wants to get on base. He wants to hit, but no one's going to throw him a fastball because they know if they do, it's going the other way and he's getting a hit. And he was just unable, even in that that one-out situation, to lay off the, the breaking ball, as you talked about. And I know he had hit a triple, and I believe he hit a double as well. He hit a double okay. off the center field fence, but it struck out in the other two at-bats, mm-hmm. and it also struck out four out of eight at-bats in, in the College World Series up to that point. So for those arguing that he should have bunted Izell over and that, you can point to that as well as the stats that you mentioned that Izell was hitting like 500 during the NCAA tournament, 400-something with runners in scoring position, 
and his slugging percentage. So the reasoning, I think, for Dave is there. And the fact is, Casey has had 79 strikeouts this season. That's the most ever single-season record for Arkansas. And you never want to think that a guy going into a situation like Casey Martin is going to fail. But, Phil, the stats point that Dave made the right decision yesterday. Casey, again, 79 strikeouts this year. Single-season record by six strikeouts compared to the last guy that did it. I mean, that's a pretty telling stat. Again, I, I know you don't want to underestimate and doubt Casey Martin's ability to bring the guys home, but Phil, just the, it's the it's the evidence. It's the, what Dave Dave's not Dave's not dumb. There's a reason Dave's been to five college world. I mean, like at Arkansas or six, not five. Well, there's look there are, there are there are always reasons for why a a coach or a manager in any sport makes a certain call. And and you have you have legitimate reasons to question why the decision's made. I'm telling you why the decision was made, and there are legitimate reasons why. I think it, I think it was the right call. Uh, and, and if there if there were a couple of the other hitters up, if it's Casey Opitz with two on, and those are the tying the go ahead runs, you're bunting. If it's Jacob Nesbitt, you're bunting. You are. If it's Christian Franklin, maybe you're bunting. Maybe you're not. Now, I mean, Ezel did lead the team in sacrifice bunts, but he, he also, just the numbers I'm talking about, lead the, led the team with uh, with the so-called clutch hits, runners in scoring position. I mean, that that's why that decision was made, and, I, and it didn't work out. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Dave told him, if I remember the quote correctly, if they if they think you're going to bunt, then hit it, swing away. I'm pretty sure he had a, a like a design and play where if they're not playing your bunt, then bunt, and if they are... And swing away. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, he just did what the coach, I know he didn't come through with that pop fly, but he did what the coaches asked him to do. He just didn't execute. So so then, I mean, the the Arkansas bullpen was definitely a strength for, for most of this year. But, and it is, and I mean, it is a big but. They, they struggled at times to hold tight games, to hold a tight lead, a one-run lead. And I remember talking about this a couple of weeks ago, you're going to need to hold a one-run lead at some point. And there's all these, all of these runners left on base, the lack of the clutch hit, too many strikeouts. Yes, those are issues on the offensive side, but you still had the lead. And, and a bullpen has to be able to hold on to a one-run lead at some point, especially when you get the kind of arms that are there. Now, Texas Tech has some good hitters, but... You know, Jacob Kostyshak and Cody Scroggins have legitimate big-time arms. Kevin Copps, uh, you know, Copps, I, I don't think pitched terribly, but a couple of pitches left up, and that really hurt the team. Uh, and Copps, I think, will be coming back as an undrafted uh, junior, and I think could serve a number of roles for them uh, for them next year. But it, it's, it's interesting to talk about a team that, for me, um, I know I've seen the word overachieved thrown around with with this ball club, and maybe there's a, maybe that's true, but I also see a lot of talent. I see a lot of talent on this ball club. I think sometimes we might feel like it overachieved because, yeah, you had a couple of freshmen in the starting rotation. Um, you had so many position players to replace from last year, and every last one of them, all those replacements answered the questions affirmatively. But this is a really talented club. It's not just a you know some ragtag ball club that somehow found a way to get to Omaha. It's this not was, 2015. Yeah, it's this big is difference. a this is a really good baseball team. But they didn't win a lot of close games, and and this is one of the things that's a little uh, a little odd to wrap your mind around. So Arkansas this year finishes with 46 wins. It's a lot of wins, 20 losses in games decided by one run. 
and they lost two of them at the College World Series. In games decided by one run, Arkansas had a 5-8 and eight record. So out of their 20 losses, eight of them were by one run. That's almost 50% of the losses. And for a team that not on, I, I'm not going to do the, the, the math in front of me right now, but whatever the winning percentage was, which is pretty good, like two-thirds of their games, more than two-thirds of their games they won, to finish under 500 in the one-run games, the games where the smallest little mistake will cost you the game, they were 5-8. and eight. I think that says something about why they're not in Omaha any longer. And maybe them coming back to, again, a lot of the core that's going to be back. you got Heston, Casey, your two starters, and Wick and Nolan. A lot of these guys will be back in it next year. It was good. Phil, you mentioned Cops being an undrafted junior. I'm going through the roster right now. I don't have it by memory like you do. So Kinley's a junior, obviously drafted. He has the potential to come back, right? I'm not. I don't see him coming back. You don't see him coming back. No, no, no. I think he's going to get a decent uh, bonus from the Tigers as a seventh round pick. Uh, it's not a case of a senior being drafted in the seventh, or eighth round, in which they're really just going to lowball him and, and and offer him virtually no money. I think Kenley will get a decent signing bonus. I think he's gone. So Fletch is obviously gone, being the 75th overall. Campbell's gone, 76th overall. I'm looking. Uh, I'm, again, I don't have this by memory, so I'm just kind of going through. Is there any other? Cronin's gone. I can't remember where he went to the national. I don't think any of the drafted players are coming back, but I, I do think Kevin Copps will be back. I think Copps will, will be a, will be a huge part of next year's team, whether it's as a starter or as a reliever. And I think uh, Jordan McFarlane will come back as well. It's another undrafted junior, and yeah, I mean, you've been waiting for J Mac to you know break out now for a couple of years. Maybe they maybe first base. I know first base could be open because Ezel is gone, uh, but there are some JUCO players coming in. I mean, they're gonna. They're, they're, they're going to look to replace that production at first base, and they're not just going to hand the job to Jordan McFarland, but I think he'll compete for it. Was B-9 a senior last year, or was he a redshirt junior? No, Blaine was a junior who had been eligible for the draft as a sophomore. That's, see, that's what I thought, but I wasn't 100%. So that's so he technically could have gone after a sophomore year, but elected to come back. And right, that's the same with Isaiah Campbell. I mean, he had, a, he had a redshirt year, and that's why he was eligible as a sophomore. See, that's what I thought, but I wasn't 100% sure. So unless something changes, as you mentioned, all those guys are gone. But again, you still got Nolan and Wick coming back who are probably going to be unless something dramatic happens. You're one and two guys. You got Martin. You got Kerstad. You got Franklin, who I think you told me earlier this year is probably going to make the move to center field because of the departure of Dominique Fletcher. Uh, Nesbitt and Opitz, two tremendous defensive players who I think have a lot of upside as hitters. Yeah, and so you're losing a lot like you did last year. Like To lose Blaine Knight and Isaiah Campbell back-to-back years is just devastating just for the fact that you're, you're starters. But, and Dave talked about how, how that just doesn't happen, how you don't have two guys like that back-to-back years, and then it, they'll eventually go to the MLB and, and make their way there. But just... There's there's pieces to be had next year. You've talked about oh, yeah. it a couple months ago that this team potentially. Now you're not going to come out and say they're going to be better next year, but this team has the potential to be better next year. It's just going to be about developing the off season, who comes in, who meshes, what happens this next year. Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service, and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123 or check them out on Facebook or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. Nikki, always a pleasure. How you doing? You're probably feeling a little better than I am right now. 
Yeah, I'm feeling good. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you're referring to the game the other day. I, I feel like they did a lot better than a lot of people expected. So I'm still pretty satisfied. And I, I had fun watching them, you know, for the for the second half of the season, at least, is when I probably started really paying attention. Well, they took us on quite a ride. They really did. And you got to appreciate that when it happens. It's just, you know, the day after is you start to have a little bit more of that, that, that longer perspective. And, and now it's into, it's funny. So there's, you know, talk show hosts across the state might be, uh, a little bit nervous, uh, on what the heck are we talking about for the next few months? But there's a lot of recruiting going on. Uh, and so you'll be, you're hard at work. And so you'd done, you'd written a column about three possible defensive uh, prospects uh, that are looking at Arkansas that you think may end up uh, committing to Arkansas, and I want you to I want to talk about those. I want to talk about Vernon Broughton first, uh, the six foot six uh, defensive end out of Houston, and it looks his his sister's being recruited too by Mike Neighbors. How about that? Yeah, she's a, a 2021 basketball prospect. So they're out of um, Houston, one of the one of the Cypress schools. Um, Vernon was here for his official visit a couple weekends ago, and things went really, really well, like better than anybody could have expected, given that he has um, Texas coming after him very, very hard. Um, but having Coach Neighbors recruit his sister a little bit uh, has definitely helped their case because his mother is very into family, and obviously Coach Morris showed him that kind of aspect, but then having his sister being recruited as well means that she could be sending two of her kids off to Arkansas, um, and I'm not sure that uh, she'd have that opportunity with the other schools that are recruiting him. Um, He just finished up an official to Ohio State, so we'll see how that went. Um, I don't think it really blew him away, Um, so right now I'm, I'm having him leaning between Texas and Arkansas mainly. Okay, so Blaine Toll, a lot of people talking about Blaine Toll from Hazen, uh, Giant. Uh, He's got one Mm -hmm. more official visit before he says he's going to make a decision. You still think he'll he'll end up as a Razorback? So he's going to Tennessee, and I believe they're one of the schools that offered him before Arkansas did. Uh, You know, Arkansas didn't really know what position he would be playing at the next level. But um, they've seen him at camp playing both tight end and defensive end. Um, and he has the size to grow into uh, defensive tackle. Or uh, some people have been throwing out that maybe they should bulk him up and put him at offensive tackle because his frame is just amazing and he could add so much more weight on him. But I'm not sure if he's played much offensive tackle ever because he plays quarterback for Hazen. So we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I have him leaning towards Arkansas right now. Coming off the official visit, I feel like everyone was able to convince him that it's a better idea to stay home. Talking with Nikki Chavanel, Rivals.com, every Tuesday here on Halftime. Nikki, we haven't gotten a chance to speak to you since Chandler Morris committed to Arkansas. Just from you talking with him, with you talking with the coaches, did you ever think that there was any doubt that Chandler Morris wouldn't end up a Razorback? I I didn't personally because I could kind of see what was happening with the other recruits as well and, you know, how much they were talking to them and everything. And, you know, they weren't going to leave themselves in a position where they were going to miss out on someone else because they were waiting on him to decide. So I knew that they were pretty sure that he he wanted to come to Arkansas. And I don't think they would have. 
you know, just approach this whole situation this way if they weren't planning to take him when they offered him. Um, but, you know, if he adds some more weight, I think he's going to be a very successful quarterback. Who knows what the situation will be depth-wise once he gets here. But um, definitely a guy who has the potential to play, I think, even more so than John Stephen Jones from last year's class. Yeah, it's kind of funny since they both played at Highland Park, John Stephen being the quarterback prior to uh, Chandler taking it over. The basketball commit. So you got the big one in football. That's what, what everyone was concerned about, Rageback fans, was with football. Basketball-wise, Kerry Blackshear has been kind of the big guy that everyone's been wanting to know about. I saw a report from Chris Dorch of the Blue Ribbon that said he's narrowed it down to three schools, and Arkansas is not one of them. I know you have um, Jake Weingarten working for you guys at Rivals. Is Arkansas no longer in the running for Kerry Blackshear? You know, I actually haven't seen that yet, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think uh, that uh, with him visiting Kentucky, um, and where was he just at? I want to say he was at, like, Tennessee or something. Um, I, I, I just don't think he's going to pick Arkansas because, first of all, they don't even have a spot for him um, as their roster stands. So that's one issue. Um, and then Kentucky's making him a huge priority, so... I kind of expect him to end up there. Nikki, tell me about uh, John Gentry, uh, who's uh, also committed. Um, was it the same day that Chandler Morris did? Obviously, he'd be he'd be overshadowed by the head coach's son, uh, but uh, three star prospect running back. What do you know about John Gentry? You know, I don't think that he minded committing before Chandler Morris did. Um, he was very excited to do it. Once he left his official visit, he got on the plane back to Houston and then released his commitment right after he landed. He was so excited. Um, but he is he's 5'11", almost 195, so he looks the part already. You could throw him in an, an Arkansas uniform, and he, he matches all the other guys on the roster already. Um, he's like a long strider, but he, he runs a 4'5", 6", so pretty respectable speed. Um, he's a, a triple threat kind of guy. He's got good hands as well. He plays behind a very good offensive line at North Shore High School, and he plays with the number one running back in the nation. So he's used to competing uh, often against him, and uh, I, I think he's a great prospect. He didn't have any other SEC offers, uh, but I think that would have come in time. I'm not sure if they will offer now that he's already committed, but a great prospect. Nikki Chavanel joining us here on Halftime every Tuesday or right around this time of the day. Uh, so what's, the, what's, on, what's on the calendar now over the next, uh, over the next few weeks for, for Arkansas football? The players are already starting to report, I guess. And, I mean, how many days is it now, Ty, until game one? I mean, we're within 74. How, 74, so that's got to be about what? 50 some days until the start of camp so i mean that calendar is gonna that countdown is gonna it's gonna happen pretty quickly yeah uh the coaches are taking a little vacation right now um the players are here though and they're working out um they'll have a big barbecue to kick off fall camp and they'll have a bunch of prospects back for that date and i expect at least one or two commitments out of that. Uh, it was really big for them last year, so I know they'll want to, you know, time out some announcements for that weekend. Um, but 
Yeah, not a ton going on, but I'll try to catch up with all the prospects that have been here over the spring and see where they're at and see what other visits they, they've been taking and are planning to take for next season. Talking with Nikki Chavanel, Rivals.com, every Tuesday here on Halftime. Nikki, I thought Phil and I's discussion for much of this summer and then in fall was going to be discussing whether Chandler Morris was going to pick Arkansas or not. Well, he has at this point. He hasn't signed, but he's picked them. I think one of the biggest storylines now that baseball season is over after the season he had is what Connor Nolan is going to do. Now, I could see him just playing football and doing this thing another year, possibly another two, but I'm kind of curious, Nikki, after what you saw him on the from on the mound this season comparatively to the game at quarterback, and it looks like a lot more depth's going to be there with the addition of Chandler Morris, K.J. Jefferson, and Morris would be next year, but K.J. Jefferson, Ben Hicks, Nick Starkle, do you anticipate him making a future decision this summer about what he's going to do at Arkansas? You know, you know, running the message boards, we have a lot of people post stuff that they think they know or that they've heard. And I've, I've heard, obviously, that he isn't going to play football anymore. But I don't know how much truth there is to that. Uh, he's a really competitive guy. I think he would want to... Um, and you know, try try football out at least one more year, uh, just to see if maybe he can emerge as a guy. He didn't get to participate very much in spring football, so there's no telling where he is in relation to Ben Hicks, at least. Um, but I think he would still be a good third string for them. Uh, so I hope he sticks it out because I still think they need the depth right now. And here's the factor that I, I would probably point to, and we can close on this, is the fact, Nikki, that he could potentially be the Friday night guy. He's going to be battling out Patrick Wicklander for that one spot on Friday night. So I wonder how much that plays into the decision of him choosing either one or the other or playing both. Yeah, I mean, he was able to do what he did in baseball this year without having to sacrifice anything football-wise, um, you know, during the season. So he managed to do both commendably well, and um, I, I would see him sticking it out for one more. Yeah, I, I think it would be really interesting because it's – I just – how do you how do you improve at quarterback unless you are playing the position? You know, it's the same idea as being a pitcher that's throwing bullpens and getting better on practice, but until you're facing live hitting in games – I don't know how much better you can actually get. I just there's more opportunity as a pitcher than there is as a quarterback. It's just a fact. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and who knows how much more game experience he would get next year for football. Um, and he would he'd already be behind, you know, Hicks and Starkle probably in the playbook a little bit. It, it's going to be interesting for sure. I don't think he can go wrong either way. Is the thing. I think he'll still be successful in baseball if he chooses to stay with football one more year or, or longer. Um, and then I think he'll be great, you know, in baseball if he decides to quit football. So it's a, it's a win-win for him, really. All right, Nikki. Well, the summer really starts now. Now the campus is virtually empty, and there's no more baseball games being played at Baumwalker Stadium. And I guess we can have a little fun uh, for during the uh, the quiet before the storm. So we'll look forward to talking about it again next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you.
But the second year in a row they make it, which really, you know what that does? That puts expectations on next year's team, whether they are legitimate expectations or not. But uh, those are expectations you want a program to have year in, year out. I think you want to look at a season as being uh, at least semi-disappointing if you don't make it to Omaha. But this season isn't because they did. All right, it is a Tuesday. we got some things we're going to get off the lawn. If this would work. Oh. And the first thing that I'll get off Did the lawn is I the open. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I clicked it twice. <laughs> Perhaps I could be of some assistance. You're on Facebook, huh? Well, I've been trying to figure it out. I joined about 10 minutes ago. Well, I'm better late than never. Get off my lawn. Well, that's a bummer to start, Phil. That's okay. It worked eventually. Just, just just keep banging your finger onto that thing, and sooner or later it'll start. I mean, Phil literally saw me just pressing away on the computer. So stuff happens, stuff time. So I've been spending a lot of time in hotels in the last eight months, as our listeners probably are well aware. I mean, I've been doing shows from hotels uh, week after week. And and hotels are great. I love hotels. Got free coffee. You got all great breakfasts. You've got uh, people to make your room up for you. They'll even bring you an extra bar of soap if you ask for it. Maybe some free water. I mean, it's a really nice way to live. Uh, and then there are sometimes at hotels and in various cities, you have youth baseball tournaments or youth basketball tournaments or youth soccer tournaments. Or just a lot of youths that are inside the hotels. And let me tell you something. The worst thing in a hotel is a roaming pack of kids. I like kids. I got nothing against kids. I have two of my own. And I I like entertaining kids. I like talking baseball with kids. I don't like riding elevators with 12 different kids, all aged from about 10 to 13. And all they're trying to do is hold on to their laughter as much as they possibly can. And I have no clue what it is that they're laughing about. Kids that are unsupervised at hotels are like the bane of my existence. And I remember what it was like to be those kids. And do you remember, did you ever go to a hotel when you were a kid? You're a kid now. And my dad yesterday on the phone tells me I'm a kid because I'm 42 and he's 70, all right? So it's all relative. Um, Did you ever go to a hotel with a bunch of your friends and... Do you remember the feeling that you had from that? I mean, you, you kind of felt free, like you can go roam and you can cause problems and trouble and you won't get into trouble. Yeah, we were little you-know-whats. That's the best way I can describe it. And if you don't know what word I'm not putting in the radio right now, then uh, I don't know where to help you there. It's funny. The other day on Friday, I did the show from the executive meeting center at the the 19th floor at our Doubletree Hotel in, in Omaha. I had this great look at the ball, view of the ballpark. I mean, it was like I felt like I was some corporate suit in downtown Omaha for, like, Mutual of Omaha, somebody that actually makes really important decisions that make or lose millions of dollars for people. But on the on the ride up to the uh, in the elevator, I had those 12 kids around me. They, they want to go up to that floor, too. What are you doing up there, I asked. We just want to explore I said, well, do me a favor. Just stay out of the room that I'm in, all right? Kids roaming in packs that are pressing every button on the elevator that are stepping on people's toes. Hey, be a kid. I get it. But you know what? At the same time, if you're in this hotel and you're with other kids and you're unsupervised, get off my lawn and get out of my elevator. This might be the most iconic get off my lawn moment that has come from Phil Elson. This is the changing of the guard if you will from when phil was fun as a kid and used to be 
that kid roaming the elevator, roaming the hotels. Is this the official fuddy-duddy moment? This is when I've actually transformed into a a duddy that is fuddy? Yeah, I think you've you've lost your coolness factor, the cool dad, the cool the cool old man factor as of this moment. It's kind of a iconic moment in show history. So you're so. Telling, it sounds like you feel like I've jumped this, I've jumped some sort of a shark. Yeah, it's you, all downhill from here. It's all downhill from here, man. I'm just going to get moaning and crying Phil the rest of the way here on out. So <laughs> well, Isn't that what this segment's all about? We're but, supposed to complain about something. Yeah, but you usually complain about non- Non-kid things. Non-old man stuff. This is your first old man complaint that I think you've had in quite some time. You darn kids and your fingers. You can't keep them off the buttons. So I used to play classic soccer, travel soccer, similar to travel baseball, who I'm sure many of the the parents listening have had to experience that, either playing it or their kids doing it. And that is the exact same situation that I used to be in as a kid with all your friends in some either. A lot. We went to Memphis, Tupelo. We went all over and that same scenario that you referenced to this weekend is the exact same thing that I used to do about uh, 15 years ago. So it's it's not too far for me. But that's I mean, these kids, they go into the workout center. They throw the weights all over the place. They go into the restaurant. They're squeezing ketchup and mustard on the walls. They're 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 putting syrup in their hair. I mean, come on now. Let's let's watch these kids. Let's lock them in the bathroom for crying out loud. It's like when that guy on WEII referred to Tom Brady's little kid as a. I'm not going to say it, but you know you know what I'm referring to. So that's yes. that's basically what Phil was having to deal with this weekend. All right, Tommy mentioned this this morning. I don't think he talked about it, so I'm going to go in references. You know that job I mentioned a couple months back with I think I believe it was Royal Caribbean. How you got paid to be there social media poster and go yes. on different cruises. I also remember another another job that you've you've pointed out recently about an, a natural light drinking intern. Yeah. That would that would Which be, is right down your alley. R- both of those would just it's be not just an job. alley, it's like right down your interstate. Yeah. And again, I'm very proud of Phil Elson this weekend. Had a natter day with John Neighbors, enjoyed it, so that was the that was probably the peak of the show this week. By the way, I forgot to show you. I got something for you. <laughs> you give me a koozie. <laughs> I got you a pelican koozie. Perfect. Uh, I can't wait. I can't. A flamingo wait. koozie. That's what it is. When you come up to the fort for our degenerative weekend, bring it up there. Bring it up here. Um, so Reynolds Rap Phil is looking for a chief grilling officer to help find the best barbecue in the Amer- in America. This is the most dad job of all time. And man, and the get off my lawn moment is anyone who wouldn't be interested in this job. <laughs> because not only do they pay you $10,000 for approximately 2 weeks, they also pick up your tab for travel, accommodations, food. You're going to Now these cities aren't exactly jump off the page cities, but they're my kind of cities. They're southern cities with good food. Louisville, Chicago, Austin, St. Louis, Charleston, and Memphis. Those are what world is Chicago a southern city? That's not a southern city, but it's a good it's a good food city. So okay, I'll give you that. That reaches into there. And Phil, you can bring a friend on a friend on this trip. So I'd I'd have a serious dilemma if I was offered either the Natty Light internship or this one because as much as I love Natter Days and Natural Light, I love food slightly more because I eat more than I drink. Obviously, I only drink like once a week. So I think I would probably take, if offered both of these jobs, I'd probably take the Reynolds Wrap job. And Whoa. I'd bring you with me. I'd, we, we'd try to convince Tommy if we could do 
a show on the road with them for two straight weeks. Which Don't you think these things go together? Oh. You know, the the drinking intern with the chief grilling officer. They 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 ought to work together. I mean, but one is a is a suit. You know, the CGO. That's a that's an executive right there. The intern. That's just low level. That's the bottom of your shoe. I take either job honestly. Either would be great, and I I say that tongue in cheek because I'm very happy here. And I but that, those jobs, man, they just eat. Or drink, like, and just chill and relax. That would be a good time, you know? Well, I still want my next job. I would like to be the driver of the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. This, the, uh, you've seen this this vehicle? Have you seen this thing? Yeah, not this ever lengthy, in person. lengthy, cylindrical sausage that has wheels and is riding around the country and has been doing this for, like, the last 70 years? Is it a... Is that a Pittsburgh-based company? No. Or, okay. No, that's... Um, I don't know who Oscar Mayer's part of, but it's Oscar Mayer brand. Anyway, I mean, I mean, that just look. I would like to just be able to have a business card that says "Driver Wienermobile." That would be that would be quite a conversation at a, a bar if you were trying to meet someone. It's like, hey, so what do you do? Oh, I drive the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, and them to just do a double take on you. It's like, hold up, are you serious? And you pull out a business card, and they're just gawking at it while they're looking at you head to toe and be like, this can't be serious. And you're like, nope, I'm dead serious. Again, all these things work together. They really do. I mean, the, the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile ought to be ought to have the, the chief grilling officer from Reynolds Rap traveling inside of it with the drinking intern, all going to Major League Baseball stadiums, parking lots, and and, and spreading mirth and merriment and bad beer and, and hey, salty easy, hot dogs. Easy on the bad beer part. Easy on that. You, had a, you enjoyed the Natterday, unless you were lying to me. You enjoyed your drink this week. It's because it tasted like strawberry juice. I mean, it's like it tastes fine, but it's nothing that I'll actually go out of my way to order anymore. Uh, I want a beer. I'm going to get a beer. If I want juice, I'll drink juice. I guess, yeah, that's that sounds kind of like Tommy. So Tommy will explain. Am I just getting older by the moment here? As I as I continue to do this segment with you, nah, you're you're good. I just like messing with you. You you're a kid at heart. We've talked about this. That's why we mesh so well together. Is because your humor and my humor is mostly the same. Now, there's occasionally a joke that you'll tell me or I'll tell you that we'll look at each other it's like, what the hell are you talking about? But most of the time, we laugh at the same things because we have the same type of humor because you're a kid at heart. And I'm, I'm at least in when I, my outlook on sports, I have more maturity when it comes to arguments pertaining my generation's sports figures and then the older ones because I give a lot more respect than most other athletes, or excuse me, most other my generation does. Ty, you and I, you put our ages together and it equals 66. If you put the ages of our sense of humors together, I don't think you get to, to double figures, all right? So that's but maybe that's why it works so well. Is that where I throw in a 69 joke right now? No. That's where you do three more, then you get, yeah, sure, why not? You already did. You can't, you can't take it back. All right, you know what else you can't take back? The fact that the Baltimore Orioles absolutely suck. This is, I mean, this is an embarrassment of a baseball team. Please read what you wrote on our rundown. This is an embarrassment of a baseball team. I I, I said the Baltimore Orioles suck. I'll just leave it at that. The (laughs) Orioles have lost six games in a row after being dropped by Oakland 3-2 yesterday. All that is is the first of a seven-game West Coast swing. they got to go all the way from Baltimore. So to lose at Oakland and go to Seattle for four games. Admittedly, Seattle's like trading everybody away. Um, But... uh, (laughs) I mean, Baltimore has has look. Last year, Baltimore had sort of a an historic bad year, one of the worst seasons in the history of the game. One of the twenty worst winning percentages. They won twenty nine percent of their games. They went forty seven and one hundred and fifteen. 
And now they're doing even worse. You put the last two seasons together for Baltimore, 68 wins, 166 losses. That's a 291 winning percentage, which means they're losing about 70% of their games. And boy, that is rough. Have fun with that, Adley Rutschman. And it's, hey, Adley Rutschman's a great ball player. That's a cornerstone of a franchise eventually. But it's just one player. And as great of a catcher and hitter as Rutschman is, it's going to take a minute for that Baltimore Orioles team to turn things around. I mean, look at what they're doing in that division. I mean, you've got the Yankees, who it doesn't matter how many players are hurt with the Yankees, they still win games. They just get Edwin Aaron Canastio in a trade, and they got all the money in the world. The Boston Red Sox, that's the same thing. You know, Tampa Bay is the most uh, creative major league organization out there, and, I mean, they're winning games too, and... Toronto's not very good, but they're they're not in the category of suckiness that Baltimore is. I think Baltimore might be stuck in the basement of the of the American League East for years and years, and they deserve to be. Look, if there was such a thing as relegation in Major League Baseball, like English soccer or European soccer, Baltimore would be a Double A team by now. Get off my lawn. So, have you ever been to Baltimore? I know that's kind of in your yeah. area. Okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been to Baltimore a few times. I've, 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 I haven't been to an Orioles game in a long time, but I did go to a game the first year Camden Yards was open in 92, and uh, they hosted the All-Star game in 93, and, and I, I was lucky enough to attend that game. That's one of the cities that's on my bucket list. It's not up top by any means, but it's at least on there to eventually go visit. So you want to talk about a good food city, Baltimore is especially great with seafood and crabs and and it's terrific. It's feel, really great. I feel like I've seen a man versus food spot or a diner's dive-ins and drives there. So, yeah, any any like major town typically has something they're known for food-wise. So you can't go wrong most of the time as long as you know where to go. Well, Baltimore used to be known for good baseball, but it's been a minute. It's been a minute. All right. I was just talking about how my respect for kind of the older generation, older audience. And I love to diss sometimes the, the generation of athletes that I grow up with. And I'm going to say something here. For those out there that don't think LeBron James's career was dramatically impacted by Ray Allen's shot in Game 6 of the 2013 NBA Finals six years ago that happened today, you can get off my lawn. Here's the play. James catches, puts up a three, won't go, rebound, Bosh, back out to Allen, his three-pointer, Green trying to get free. Cross-court pass to Green. Green blocked by Bosch. Game over. There'll be a game seven. So, Phil, if not for Ray Allen's shot, that was one of the most incredible shots I've ever seen for him to be able to do that after Chris Bosch got that rebound. LeBron James's career would be dramatically different. If they would go on to lose that series against the San Antonio Spurs, that would make him at that point Three out of four losses in the NBA Finals. That means he would only have one NBA Finals win, and that was the 2012 against my Thunder. But they were able to overcome the Spurs and beat him in Game 7. But I just wonder how much his career, we would look at his legacy today. And I think it's already been diminished a little bit based on what happened this season with the Lakers. But you can't tell me that if Ray Allen doesn't hit that shot, that he would be still in the same conversation at this point in time with Michael Jeffrey Jordan. So anyone who doesn't agree with me there can get off my lawn. Well, I mean, it's all about, I mean, when you're going to compare, so much of it is about titles. 
between the two of them and how many times LeBron has been there and how many times he's lost the finals and how Michael never lost in the finals. The finals are the are the definitive aspect to the two of them in the conversation, I think. Um, to me, because a lot of statistics almost seem like a wash. You know, you could also think the same idea perhaps maybe about like um, Shaquille O'Neal and Robert Horry. You know, I mean, Horry hits a couple of huge shots long time ago that, that, that wins them games in the finals. And I forget exactly some of the situations, but, you know, and it's not like Horry was just some bit player, but without his huge shots near the end of some of those games, do the Lakers even win uh, a couple of the titles that they had with Kobe and Shaq? Game 4, 2002 against the Sacramento Kings against uh, in a series that I think Dim- Tim Donahue said was rigged. Because he hits it. If he doesn't hit that shot, they go up 3-1. And they have a chance to close it out at home. Instead, the Keens lose in seven games. But, yeah, that was one of the biggest shots in NBA history, his game four. I don't. I can't remember if he banked it over Chris Webber or not, if he just swooshed it. But, yeah, just an incredible shot. All right, my last uh, is, uh, so I went to, uh, I had dinner last night at one of the nice steakhouses downtown Omaha. I figured I might as well just pamper myself. It is splurge day. So uh, it, today is actually splurge day splurge across day, the country. Man. But I did that last night. I'm not going to splurge today. I still I celebrated a little bit early with a nice steak, a nice Manhattan, or it was an old fashioned. I'm sorry, a nice old fashioned, some blue cheese potatoes, and sitting up at the bar and, and eating this great meal. I end up sit a couple sits down next to me, and they are franchisees of Burger King. And it's kind of, you know, well, here they are. They're not going to eat a Burger King. They're going to eat a nice steak before they head to St. Louis for some Burger King convention in which all of the franchisees will be tasting this impossible burger. Have you heard about this thing, Ty? I have not. I don't know if it's down your alley or not, although I know you're into the plant-based protein bars now. As of yesterday. <laughs> as of yesterday, as you now spend your money on quote-unquote health foods. Um I guess this is sort of like a health fast food, if you want to use that term. I don't know if it's the case really, but uh, these are plant-based burgers. It's only the 20th try to make a meatless burger, but this is actually supposed to really taste like a burger and actually have the texture of a burger instead of, you know, just like you're you're chewing on snot, uh, which nobody really wants to eat, even if it tastes like a burger. Um, I don't know if I could get with this thing. And I don't like to be fooled by food. I want to taste what I'm tasting. If I want something to taste like a cheeseburger, then I think I want a cheeseburger. If I want something that's plant-based, I think I'd rather it taste plant-based, whatever that means. So for the Impossible Burger, um, I don't know. I would have to say, now I'm not against any foods like this. People need to be able to eat what they want. But for me, I just wouldn't be able to eat anything like that. I want a burger to be a real burger. So get off my lawn. And get out of my bun. So I'm looking at Impossible Foods' as Twitter fees. And again, appearance isn't everything because we know how those photos can be doctored up and stuff like that. But at least good looks good. Like, you know how there's some foods you look at and you just can tell that's going to be disgusting? I'm not going to like that. I can at least tell it looks good. And I'm always the guy, because of my stomach, because of the fact that I can just eat about anything I'm okay with trying something once, especially if it's a health option that I may potentially like. Kind of like this this weekend where I, I shopped and got some plant based stuff because I'm I'm trying to look at least decent for when I have my shirt off in, in Fourth of July in Nashville in a couple weeks. So I I'm I'm kind of with you. I'm skeptical, but I'll at least try it. But I'll have no bra- pr- 
problem absolutely blasting it on the air if it's not good afterwards. Look, every time I've tried one of these hot dogs, it's supposed to take a, taste like a hot dog. It really just tastes like what I thought the inside of my shoe would taste like with some salt added to it. Yeah, you know, the Boca burgers and stuff like that. It's just kind of, I, you know, you might as well just take a handful of the ground-up tire at artificial artificial turf on a baseball field at Vanderbilt and put that in your mouth because that's the same consistency. So I'm just, I just can't trust this stuff. Just get out of my mouth. Get out of my system. So I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how people, Giants fans, were really angry that they drafted Daniel Jones, former Duke quarterback, didn't have just blow off the or jump off the page numbers when he was a Blue Devil. So he was at a Yankees game, and they might have been playing the Orioles. I can't remember. But he got shown on the, not Jumbotron, but the screen, and they started booing him. Phil, he has not played a snap for the New York Giants. And That's I get, awesome. And I get Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York, kid. And we, we joke about how Philly fans are rough and New York fans are rough, but my goodness, man, like, give the kid a little bit of slack. I know that's not the guy that they wanted in there. They were wanting a, possibly Dwayne Haskins and some other quarterbacks on the board. But the guy hasn't played a snap. And there's been plenty of quarterbacks over the years who didn't look like good draft picks, who were drafted late or, or were just not projected to be good NFL quarterbacks. And they turned out fine or they turned out to be good franchise guys. Give the kid a chance. Until then, get off my lawn, Giants fans. I think Giants fans, you know, paid attention to all the draft analysts that said they can't believe that 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 the Giants picked Jones. What was it, sixth overall? Mm-hmm. That that he could have been, you know, like a late first round pick, and potentially the Giants could have gotten him in the second round. Yeah. So, but that's the guy they wanted. I mean, they pinpointed him from the start, uh, and. I don't know who would get more booze at Yankee Stadium. Do you think Jones or Eli Manning right now? I think Manning's got the two Super Bowls, so I think they'll give him a little more credit. Probably Jones, but it's funny how their resemblance is uncanny. They look so much alike. It's weird. Have you seen them side by side? Yeah, I'm not going to say they look like twins, but it's it's pretty stinking crazy how much they look alike. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.